Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, and we've got Dr. Jory Botnick from the Abbotsford Animal Hospital in Aurora near Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And we're going to be... Hello, Dr. Jory. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So we talked a little while ago, not last week, but a few weeks back about your own dogs and their nasty habits. Terrible habits. So have you managed to get them to fetch or go for toys or do something other than eat other dogs' poops Um, at the park? If they're with... Us and I'm watching them most. I would say yes. However, if they can sneak off when I'm, they're not being watched, as in if my kids have taken them, we are less successful. As you know, when you're trying to curb a behavior, something that they can get all the time becomes more desired when it becomes much, much less frequent. And so mm-hmm. when they're out with the kids, it's like if you can have a milkshake every day, they want it, but not so much. But if you can only have a milkshake once a month and it's just over there, and Kyle's really not paying attention. And I sneak over this way. Oh, look, Kyle, there's a squirrel. I'm going to make a break for it. So I would say we're much better. I've also been using Forbid in their food. And that seems to have helped as well. But the, at the end of the day, the best thing for poop-eating dogs is to make sure there's no poop for them to eat. And so part of it is making sure that those responsible for cleaning get the job done properly. Well, that's about the backyard. Yeah. But when, you know, some of these problems we're discussing, like the dogs who snarf down tennis balls or rocks or sticks or whatever it is that they end up going to the surgery for over and over again. Sometimes I think a good solution is leash. And when you want to off leash, pick your spot. Like if you've got a ball crazy dog, why not pick a tennis court on a rainy day, close all the gates and just throw that ball, throw that ball, throw that ball. If he's a rock eater or a nylon eater, if he's not a ball eater and you just want him to play with balls and only balls, then there's your opportunity. You can find areas where the nylons aren't there at the beach, right? For sure. I know we've talked in the past about dogs who eat nylons, dogs who eat socks, dogs who eat anything that smells human or anything that's important to human. And, and a lot of times, dogs eat drugs by accident. They'll eat oh, brownies with marijuana in it. I've Have you had, had any cases uh, like that? I've had, since marijuana became legal in Ontario, I've had four cases of dogs That's only eating. a few days, though, right? Didn't marijuana become yep. legal last week? Last week. Yep. Welcome to my weekend. Are you sure? Yes, I am 100% sure. Oh, look, he's oh vomiting up God. your bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the problem, uh, we'll leave politics oh, out of our no. discussion. But the availability and the acceptance of recreational drugs means they're just more available. We have a hard enough time. We've had a hard enough time trying to pick up after our kids with routine things. But now, depending on who, what, and where, things are being left through drop down. You don't think about it. The dogs find it, and it's a brand new smell, and it's really potent. You may not smell it, but they're going to smell it before you even get through the door. And we just really need to be cognizant that if we're going to engage in certain behaviors, we are also responsible for the charges in our house. And if we're going to, they, the dogs don't buy them those kind of things. The dogs don't buy the drugs, but they will eat them. You know, it's like their food. The dogs don't get fat because they don't pick the food, they don't make the food, and they don't portion the food. We do. And if we want to engage in a behavior, that's everybody's choice. 
But we have to protect our pets, same as we would protect our children. You don't leave those things laying out because they will put it in their mouths. This is the five. I don't think people realize how tempting (laughs) drugs are to dogs, especially if they're in food. I mean, duh, right? What golden retriever Labrador can resist a brownie? Brownie. It's it's chocolate and it's a drug. So it's a double whammy, right? And what if the drug isn't pure? What if you accidentally got tainted drugs? Now it's a triple whammy on this tiny little creature that really could get stoned on a sniff, never mind a a brownie. You know, it's just terrible. Or things like a really a different situ- a sort of the same situation but different chemical is alcohol. Vodka and cats is a bad mix. Cats, for whatever reason, like to go for it. It doesn't oh, really, really have much of a taste for them. But the quantity of alcohol needed to kill a cat is so small. Just leaving the drink out is all it will take. And so we just we don't think about these things. And as our judgment gets impaired. You really need to plan in advance. So if you're going to engage in certain behaviors, protect your pets. It's really simple. Don't leave things laying around. They don't even need to be in food. It's just the smell of something different. You see your dogs eating grass outside. If you bring something in that smells really different, their primary senses are their nose and their mouth. So they stick their face in it and they put it in their mouth. So when it's well, drugs, and also it smells <clears throat> like you. It smells like you find this thing important. Mm-hmm. You sit around it. Other people sit around it. You talk about it. You like it. It's it's treasured to you, just yep. like the eyeglasses. The dog knows that, right? He goes, "What's that thing? I want that thing too." <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and, that, and now the chase is on. But you know, so. there are situations where dogs are given prescriptions for the same drugs, right? There are dogs who are put on oils and things. What, Actually, and I in, think- in veterinary medicine currently, the way the rules state, mm-hmm. there are no legal indications for us to prescribe it because there's no studies to show when we look at it honestly. And when, no, well, honestly, when we look at it scientifically, it hasn't been shown to do anything in a controlled oh, style. Really? In control. So there's anecdotal- Not for pain, <clears throat> nope. not there's, for appetite, like when during chemotherapy, not for seizures, nothing? Nope. No, nope. no benefit. There are no studies. People, there are anecdotal, I was on it, therefore I'm going to give it to my dog, and oh, look, they're better. That's the kind of information we're currently relying on. There are studies in the works, but the problems we have are, just to give you a couple examples, people take Tylenol regularly because it's good for pain in people, and it's very safe. That is not the case on the veterinary side. It can be used in dogs, although you have to be very careful, and it will guarantee kill your cat. But because it's a capsule, people think, Okay, I'm not necessarily going to use that, but because this is natural, now we we will use it willy-nilly because it's apparently good for people. But on the human side, the indications for marijuana are very narrow. It's not a first or second line drug. It does have mounting evidence in certain areas where it can be quite useful, but as a very, very small percentage of people. And in the veterinary world, there are no indications. And the biggest problems we also have, which you alluded to a little earlier, is quality. We don't know what the strength is. We don't know where it's come from. We don't know what the doses are. We don't know the medical interactions between the drugs. And so people generally use these things with good intentions. Nobody's trying to hurt their pets. They're trying to help them. Yeah, it's expensive. I mean, really, they're they're spending money on something that they love to give to their pet. I mean, they're not trying to hurt their pet. No No, way. They're trying to do the best. But what they do is they don't know that the medication they're currently on negatively reacts with the the natural supplement, which in, in essence is a drug and it's exceptionally harmful and it causes more harm than it solves. Occasionally, I will get people whose dogs who are on cancer and they will want to use these things and I try to find as best information I can to help guide them and they'll come back to me, oh, look, it works great. 
And at the end of the day, I'm not, I, I can't tell for sure. I don't know. As long as, but when I have an animal in palliative care, at that point, anything that will help, anything yeah. that will help, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah, and if it gives the, and if it doesn't hurt the pet, but gives the owner comfort, then why not? Well, and when the traditional suggestion for pain for a dog who's at his last stages of life, it catches up, right? You get the Medicam or the Rimadil, and the dog seems better for a while, and then one day he just collapses. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's then, like, yeah, that's a bad choice, right? I yeah. would hate to make that choice. I've never and, made that choice. I've always limited exercise rather than gone with that because I that's a scary scenario for me, that drug. But I don't know. There are doctors. I've done a show maybe two years ago with Dr. Carol Osborne, and she was talking mm-hmm. about prescribing marijuana for pets in these situations we're talking about right now. So there are doctors who do it, but um, but it's definitely controversial. And you can't just say, well, I like pot, so I'm going to give my dog some and yeah, then just that, wing it. That's really that's, not a good plan. Unfortunately, that's what happens. And for at least for us in Ontario, we can't legally prescribe it at all. What I can do is say, if you're going to use it, here is a dose range and here's what you want to look for. Then it's like any other medication. For instance, on the naturalistic side, people will use slippery elm as a stomach protectant or as a treatment for diarrhea. The problem that we're seeing with that is for now in many of the states where it comes from, where this tree grows, it's now an endangered species because people are stripping it. But there, people are using it. Well, if it's good for this, then it must be good for this, 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 and that. And so, yeah. well, they're, so they're taking it out of its narrow focus or their narrow use, and they're generalizing it to everything else. So marijuana is new, and it cures cancer, diabetes, epilepsy, arthritis. You know, life, yeah. the universe, and everything. Well, yeah, like apple cider vinegar used to be. You should have 100%. it for this and that and this and that. And it is great for some things, like a hotspot. I find if you catch a hotspot real quick and you rub it, clean it, shave it, or clip it short and use apple cider vinegar on it in time and coconut oil, it will heal. But if you don't catch it in time, it's not going to do anything. And it's not going to do anything for many other problems like fleas. 100%. (laughs) But I mean, we know, I mean, vinegar is one of those amazing products. It's been around for how many thousands of years? But acetic acid is one of those things where you don't see drug resistance. And if I'm not on the marijuana bandwagon, it's automatically assumed that I'm anti-natural medication. And it's not, that that's absolutely couldn't be further from the truth. If you can't disregard where all our medical knowledge came from, and just because something's old doesn't mean it doesn't work. And some of our oldest treatments we're go, having to go back to because of drug resistance. And they work, a good poultice will treat a lot of abscesses, and it doesn't come with the side effects of antibiotics. But you've mm, got to also- Yeah, that's true. But you have to be careful because if every medication we give, natural or otherwise, can be considered a poison, whether it's marijuana, slippery elm, or Advil, the good has to outweigh the bad. And if I'm going to give you a poison, then I better bloody well know what is in this pill that I'm giving you, what is its concentration, what's its safety, and how am I going to use it, and what are the side effects? Because if I don't know those things, I can't, as a caretaker of those who cannot speak for themselves, better not be giving it to them because I don't know how it's going to respond in your pet. And I have to know yeah, that. I so that. this is where it comes and from. And dosing is so tricky because when you look at a 180-pound man and you say to him, well, I know you're enduring chemotherapy and maybe some marijuana tea will help you with your appetite, try a sip, try a half a cup first and see how it goes. You can't say that to a toy poodle owner. Try this and try that. We don't know how strong it is. And if it's too strong, it's too strong. And he's in trouble so fast. Absolutely, 100%. And they can't, as I said, and people like yourself, our, our job is to speak for those who cannot speak. And people, although good intentioned, and they're doing it to help, often do more damage than good. And so 
our job is to say, well, wait, think about it. Before you're going to do that, it comes back to vaccines. And, you can, and then there's all this debate about it. But at the end of the day, vaccines save lives, period. End of discussion. Vaccine does not cause autism in dogs or cats, period. It doesn't cause it in children. However, my job is to give them the information that they can make the personal choice on how best to protect their pet. At the same time, I have to give them that information because there's so much untrue information out there that's so readily available. Often they'll seek out information that feeds their own narrative, and then they come in armed with facts, but it's all skewed on how they looked for them. People come in and say, well, I've got all this evidence to show that marijuana is really good for pain. Okay, but the sites you're going to really aren't that good. And the articles and things that I'm referring back to, I've got no personal gain here. I mean, it's really about I want your pet as well as you do. And as even more so, I want to make sure that the plant I put your pet on doesn't harm them because I'm responsible. And I don't want you, you to know, have you to touched be on responsible too. You touched on something. Well, we talked about hotspots briefly. I want to get back to that. But we also, you touched on vaccinations. And we're going to go to a break. But when we come back, I'm going to ask you, it does feel a little bit like the protocols for vaccination may be over-vaccinating. I want to ask you about that, especially when you have a 10-year-old dog who's up to date on absolutely everything and tighter tests that he doesn't need anything. And why am I still taking him? Okay, so (laughs) we'll come back with Dr. Jory and find out, can you stop at some point with the vaccines and which ones? And do you really need Lyme or heartworm or all these extra add-ons they keep offering us? I mean, it seems like the vaccine regime gets bigger and bigger. And it used to be like every four years, now it's every two, and I, or every one, and rabies, and change seven, now it's four, now it's two. I don't know. We're going to find out the real truth about vaccinations after the break on Animal Party Pet Life Radio with me, Jeff Wolf, and Dr. Jory Bachnick. Stay tuned. Today's episode is sponsored by Hanover Square Press and the secret language of cats, how to understand your cat for a better, happier relationship by Suzanne Schatz. Have you ever wondered what your cat is saying? In the secret language of cats, Schatz offers a crash course in cat phonics to help you crack the cat code. Perfect for the fans of the lion in the living room and the inner life of animals. The secret language of cats by Suzanne Schatz is available for purchase today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello! You're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with me, Deb Wolf. Kind of find it curious, Dr. Jory, about these vaccinations because I know the trap and release cat programs, they vaccinate once. Mm-hmm. And then when I used to have dogs, we would get a, a rabies vaccine. I think it was good for seven years or something like that. And now maybe it was four, but now it's like one year when they're a baby and then two years, I think it is, or four. I don't know. It seems to vary a lot. And people seem to be reluctant to keep their pets up to mm-hmm. date. And then when their pets get older, like some of mine, I don't seem to need it anymore if I do blood tests. So how do we know what we need, when we need it? Per area, per, you can get a vet in the same exact neighborhood recommending more than another one. So how do you know like what you really you know? need and for how long? That's a, an enormous question, and it's a really good one. To the question of if you get two veterinarians, why do you get three opinions? I think some people take the easier road. In my opinion, there's no excuse not to vaccinate. 
there is the potential harm from vaccines is so insignificant when it's compared to the disease prevention and benefit. I mean, as someone, how many parvo puppies have you seen that we have prevented through the use of vaccination? Oh, you know what? The better question is how many parvo puppies have I seen in my life and how many of them survived? Exactly. That's the real question. It's horrible. Parvo is the thing that you're most scared of. If you have a puppy out there and it's not fully vaccinated and you're waiting on your second shot, you're waiting on your third shot and you want to socialize it, but you don't want to get it sick. You're in this terrible limbo place where you don't want your dog to be isolated. But at the same time, you cannot let your dog drink out of that Starbucks bowl they provide on the ground that every dog is sharing. You cannot go to the ocean and play and and lick and kiss other dogs and and maybe eat some poop. You can't do that yet. You have to only be around vaccinated dogs you know well and monitor your dog really well because of Parvo. It's like the big thing we're all scared of because it's the puppy killer. That's just what it is. Without question. And for me as a vet, I'm very much about preventative medicine. So we can break it down into early life, midlife, and sort of older life. When you're boosting up their immune systems in the beginning, it's when they're going to be most susceptible, they're getting exposed to everything, and you want to get them as quickly and as strong as possible. Vaccines, there's tons of vaccines that are available. When you were talking earlier, some of the vaccines are one year, two year, three year. To be able to extend the time between boosters, you need to be able to generate more of a response. And so when I was started out practice, everything was only one year. They started to go to multiple year shots, but we style, now you're starting to see an increase in reactions simply because to get the time of immunity, you have to generate a more vigorous response so you can get more local reactions or even general reactions. Dogs look a little sicker for a day or two. We ultimately found a rabies vaccine for our clinic that's a three-year vaccine that I really liked that didn't give me those clinical signs, but it took me a few years longer than others. And so everyone understands the young dogs getting their boosters. Which do they get? What do they need? Well, it really depends. I mean, talk about exposure. But for me, let's just talk about a, a dog that lives fairly isolated. So you give them their core vaccines and rabies. You stay away from some of the upper respiratory ones. But if you're going to go to your vet clinic once a year, you're going to be exposed to those things, and that's where you're going to get it. And so I'm not trying to be a fear pusher, but it's basically talking about cost versus benefit and risk. The cost of these vaccines is low. The benefit of the vaccines is exceptionally high, and the risk is low. So why would you not do it? I don't understand. Now, there are like some... Like, which vac- ones are you talking about? Are you talking Distemper, about Lyme? Parvo? Are you uh, talking about heartworm? Vac- no, there aren't any heartworm vaccines. They're heartworm tests. There, okay. the Lyme, there, are some, there are some vaccines for some narrow diseases. Like, if we talk about Lyme disease, for instance, the Lyme vaccine is actually pretty good. Five years ago, I would have said, I only vaccinated my hunting dogs and people who camp. Now, I've got ticks coming in that are Lyme positive from the middle of the city because we now live in what I would consider a Lyme endemic area. Three years. So, uh, so how, come, how come there's no Lyme vaccine for humans? Good question. Not sure. I don't know. Doesn't whether that seem a little crazy? And I there's a test, like a, a yes, no test for dogs. But with humans, everybody is, you know, trying test, to persuade everyone to believe they actually have it. The tests are really bad, actually. Oh. And the problem is the tests are poor and the treatments are poor. And because 
for instance, in Ontario, we have such limited experience with this illness. There's no consensus on how to work it up or treat it. Western Canada does it differently than Eastern Canada. California doesn't talk to New York State, and Maine thinks everybody else is crazy. And so now you've got so none of these. Why is Maine in denial? Do they want to say there is no Lyme? Is no, that no, Maine. Maine's been dealing with it for so long that every oh. every area where they do it, that they have their own way. And so, in, for instance, in Toronto, people are going years being told they have, they're depressed. Chronic fatigue, yeah, lupus. Exactly. And when they go to some of these other, so when they fly out to Northern California or they go to Martha's Vineyard where they've been dealing with this for decades, they're diagnosed with Lyme disease and put on treatment. So the, the problem is it's a difficult disease to diagnose. The good news on the veterinary side is dogs are, and cats are much more resistant to getting the illness than humans. So for when it comes to prevention, my job, A, is how can I keep the ticks off the dog? But almost more importantly, how can I keep the ticks out of your house so you don't get it as their owner? And so that's where coming to use things that keep ticks off your dogs, like there are oral products and there are topical products, but it's exceptionally important. One of my cousins who lives in a subdivision, a townhouse in Thorin Hill, brought me mm-hmm. her two Morkies you know, to do her annual. And I talked about flea and tick prevention and she went up one side of me and down the other. These dogs never go anywhere. I use pee pads. They're not at risk of anything. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And the next week she comes in rushing in crying because there's two ticks on each of her dog. What's a morky? What, what? A Yorkie Maltese cross. Oh, oh, a teeny tiny little thing. Oh, yes, you know. of course she has pee pads. Everybody out there, what are you using the pee pads for? I Why do you want pee in your I house? I don't know. Dogs uh, naturally want to go outside. You can make the shift. If you're stuck on the pee pads, I'll tell you right now, just put a pee pad in the backyard and start walking your dog out to it every day on a leash when it would normally have to go. Praise it for going there. Gradually fold the pee pad so it gets smaller and smaller and smaller so he starts peeing on the grass. Every time he goes in the grass, tell him how good he is. Eventually, use a good enzyme cleaner and vinegar. Get the smell out of your house and eliminate that area. Enough with this. Dogs don't need little pads in the house. Okay. so. <laughs> but if you want to go but just to finish up the vaccine art talk. Yeah. So there's young dog and then there's adults. So the mm-hmm. adults, they're being exposed quite regularly. So there's no reason not to keep their boosters up. Now, some people ask me, well, can we get their titers tested? And I say, absolutely. My issue with titers is this. A, they're expensive. It costs a lot of money to get your dogs tighter. It does. It's a bit, and when we look at the risk benefit cost ratios for me, it's a more painful test because you got to do blood. And if your dog's not having a blood test for heartworm this time of year or getting a, their annual blood work done, it's an additional poke. So that's, so we have to put that, in my opinion, on the negative side. And then it's, what do you do with the results? Because we really don't have enough evidence to say that a titer of X is protective. What we can mm-hmm. say is a dog who's boosted every year is protected. So for me, okay. the titers give you information, but what do you do with it? So for in our clinic, we feel so strongly about it. Arabi shots are free, and our core vaccines, our distemper, our parvo, our parinfluenza, our adenovirus, these are all free. So I try to take that off the table because, in my opinion, those are the most important, the most dangerous ones. There's no reason not to give it to your dogs. So Wow, continue. that is such a service. I had no idea anybody well, did that. That's amazing. Well, it, for us, it's about the annual physical exam and giving the owners enough, giving the owners the power of knowledge to make the personal choice. Do I want to or do I not? And if I don't- You, you realize problem, that's like exact opposite of what many veterinarians do. Many veterinarians make all their money on the vaccinations and they barely were willing to do anything else. They'll refer you out. They'll say their clinic's full. They want to pack them with the vaccines and they charge a lot of money and it's 15 minutes, boom, 15 minutes 
minutes, yeah. boom. And they don't have to have ultrasounds or surgeries or extra staff or well-trained people. And they could just be vaccination clinics. And you yeah. have just turned that on its end. Well, it's a, we started doing that, I think, about even 15 years ago. I mean, if, if we take it into the older dogs, people often ask me, well, my dog's older. It doesn't go anywhere. Why update their boosters? And my answer is, have you ever been into a nursing home? or a retirement home where people are essentially shut in, their mobility is challenged, they don't get out a lot. Who is the most susceptible to the flu? These people, because their immune systems don't get challenged, they yeah. wane over time. And then mm -hmm. a healthcare worker who is feeling just slightly under the weather, doesn't even know they have an illness, but are carrying some influenza, even though they've been vaccinated, they're not manifesting right. the disease, sneezes. Now, these people who didn't get their flu shots this year, there's a reason 80,000 people in the U.S. died last year of influenza. 80,000 people. These are mostly older people or people with other complicating illnesses or the very young. Same thing with our dogs. Their immunities wane. They don't have the coyote that they used to have. You want to make sure that they're at least immunologically as strong as possible so if they get exposed to something, it doesn't manifest in a terrible way. And so again, okay, it boils well, down we to have to go to another break. But when we come back, I want to continue this conversation because I thought that they discovered flu shots didn't work that the Ontario rates never went down after vaccines were made available for free and that more and more people were using the vaccines, but the rates never went down. And that made me wonder about Bordetella. Bordetella kennel cough, sort of like mono, spreads through saliva and airborne saliva is really a problem in a dog kennel. It's a requirement for every dog who comes here, but it doesn't always work. So we're going to come back and talk about Bordetella. Do you need to get your dog that kennel cough vaccination? Is it even effective? And I mean, if you're going anywhere, you have to because they won't let them come to a good facility without it. But maybe that's a mistake. So we're going to talk to Dr. Jory about that and about hotspots when we come back after the break on Animal Party Cat Life Radio. Stay tuned. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Licker Chops, get the third bottle free. New improved Licker Chops with omega-6, omega-3, vitamin E, and now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. And dogs love it. Try Licker Chops. Buy two, get one free. This is Henry Lukasiewicz for Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello. We're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio with me, Deborah Wolf, and I'm with my good friend, Jory Bachnick. And he's a veterinarian from Toronto. His clinic is Abbotsford Animal Hospital in Aurora. So if you're listening in the GTA in the Toronto area and uh, you have a pet and you like what he's saying, then go on down. Check it out. Call him. Go on Facebook. Look at the animals at Abbotsford Animal Hospital. they got a great Facebook site. And some of the animals we talk about... I'm hoping we're going to get to your truck survivor today. Some of the animals mm -hmm. we talk about are posted there. So everybody listening to the show, if you want to see the faces of the different dogs and cats, the dog who ate the nylons and the, and the one who we're about to talk about that got hit by a truck, check it out there. You can also check me out. 
Deb Wolf Pet Expert on Facebook. Deborah Wolf Pet Expert on Facebook. And um, I'm a Camp Good Dog. You all know that by now. Camp Good Dog Facebook. We post pictures every day of the dogs who come here to board and train and just stay when their owners are on holiday. And right now I have a litter of standard poodles, a litter of golden doodles, and a litter of labradoodles. So many, many cute pictures on so my you're not, Facebook So you're not site. sleeping. No, I'm sleeping. I got, oh my you know, because I got good mamas. I just pamper the mamas, right? That's the, the whole trick. And people but, wonder why I say breeders are crazy. Wow. <laughs> that is an enormous amount so of work. Is, I, would, I would never do it. I couldn't do it. It's too much it's work for so me. It's so beautiful. It, there's so many things that are just amazing to me about how these mothers care for their young and the, th- the way they know how to teach them, the way they know even the first time they're ever pregnant and giving birth, well, by the second puppy, how they know how to cut the umbilical cord, how they know how to do everything mm-hmm. just right and uh, how everything adjusts to meet the needs of their puppies and just a dog who's so loving and social and you don't think she'd ever stand up for herself becomes ferociously protective you know Mm -hmm. i mean it's just amazing everything that like and then when it's time for them to go i mean they're not like going on antidepressants weeping because their kids went to college they're like bye (laughs) see you later right they got it down and and they don't have issues usually about the nursing or i mean they just they're amazing mothers i see them doing their lamaze breathing no class necessary right Mm -hmm. i mean (laughs) hey when it goes right it's beautiful it's when it doesn't go right it's a nightmare and you have three litters right now yeah but they're spaced apart one is four months old one is uh six weeks old and one is two weeks old and then that's it everybody rests we all rest for another year and then we see it again next year you are have always been and still remain a tough girl Well, I don't know. Oh, we're never going to get to all the things we have to today. I'm going to have to book you for a follow-up show. Happy to. Okay, so you know what? Should we do the board of tele? No, we should do the truck. We should do do the the truck truck survivor. Let's do the truck survivor. We can talk about Kennel Golf next time. All right. So let's talk about Tony. Tony came in the other day. You know when you look at this on the highway and you see those those skid marks of things kind of curving and going across each other? That was his body. He's for he's a I think he's a Labrador Husky cross and he's about a year. And thank God he's young because he's a little bit bendy still because and it's it's like one of those things. He's a good dog. He's a year old. He's relatively well trained. They're in a rush to get ready to go. Have you let the dog out? No. Well, I'll just let him out. I'll be two seconds. They put him out the front door, goes onto the front lawn to pee. And then there is the animal across the street. Right. The squirrel, the dog, the, the cat, squirrel, the dog, whatever, raccoon, prey whatever. drive. Boom. And he is gone like a shot in front of a Toyota Tundra at about oh, 55 no. kilometers an hour. And oh, he, no. the, oh, the driver didn't even have a chance to slow down, which mm. may be why he did not die. Because the yeah. truck, all two tires went over him. Like, oh, no. And if they had tried to stop, it probably would have stopped on him and that would have been it. But he came in with, with skid marks, tire <sighs> tracks. And road rash, like you cannot believe, with the especially around you know that bony prominence is so like a holes ground into his hips. elbows, hip mm-hmm. points of hips and elbows. I can see the bone. Oh God! All the fur's uh, gone, skin's fur's gone. Fur's gone. So it's like someone take a melon ball in some of those spots. Oh my gosh! And he's so you get to his table and he looks at you and then what is this, what happens? His tail starts wagging. Oh, what a sweetie. The good news is, long story short, two days later, after first we stabilize, pain provides, stabilize. My partners, Mark and Derek, worked on him. And 
out of all that, he has one little ankle bone called the calcaneus that was broken. And that's his only fracture. Wow. Because he was so bendy. And today, so Mark was was supposed to be going on vacation, but he's coming in today, though, because that's what we do, right? He's supposed to be coming in today to do the orthopedic surgery. See, now you say you wouldn't work this hard. There you are coming in when you're on vacation. Exact same stuff. I know. (laughs) You know, and so he's putting the screw in to put that that ankle bone back together, but the dog is going to be fine. And you would think, I mean, that's a big truck to run over. You know, a 65, 70 pound dog, but he, he bounced back and his tail never stopped, never stopped wow. wagging, didn't really want to eat so much, nothing that we could offer. But I have a Chinese restaurant up the street that has the veterinary special, which is steamed Uh-oh. beef, steamed chicken in a consomme with no onion or garlic and white rice or lo mein noodles. Oh my goodness. And okay. They love that. Have the champion food. All right, Dr. Jory, we've totally run out of time, so I have to just close, and I want to have you back. We're going to talk about Bordetella vaccine next time, and we're going to talk about cancer. I have to talk about that with you. And because uh, there's some vets who believe, no, that it's just not working. Stop. But we'll talk about that next time. I love talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me today uh, on Animal my Party. Pleasure. All right, everyone. You know who he is now, Dr. Jory Bachnick, Abbotsford Animal Hospital in Aurora, which is near Toronto. So if you need some vaccines or a wellness check, head on over. Give him a call. Thank you, everybody. It's been Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Until next time, it's me, Deb Wolf. Be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.